Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, episode number 89. We're back this week. We've got a solo show with myself and my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-O? We are back and back in a a big way. Uh, We are just on a week or two ago. We're cranking them out. There's a lot to talk about these days. So I'm excited to be back on the air and, and chat about what's going on. Pretty big guests lately, too. I have to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, you know, Adam Bjarnson and then Antonio Harvey. That's some pretty big names around town we've been able to get on the show, I have to say. Yeah, it's some pretty big names associated with the, the Portland Trailblazers. And there's been some big news this week out of the Portland Trailblazers. You want to tell our listeners what that is, Tucker? Well, unless they've been living under a rock, <laughs> you've probably heard. But uh, Mr. Paul Allen, unfortunately, passed away at the young age of 65. Uh, I guess he was battling cancer for a long time. I get I read he was actually battling it since 1982, believe it or not. Uh, wow. Well, which is crazy. And uh, it obviously leaves a big void in the market. There's a lot of speculation of what will happen to the Blazers. His, he didn't have any children, so his sister is the heir to his estate, and she's publicly said she doesn't want anything to do with the team. So it's possible that a group could buy the team that maybe has intentions of potentially trying to move the franchise at some point which unlikely but possible so i know there's a lot of rumblings out there that all, all the blazer fans are hoping that that isn't the case unfortunately we don't have like a uh, a facebook or twitter founder from portland here with like i don't know 10 billion dollars lying around to carve off 700 million to buy the blazers so i'm gonna put it out there portland real estate podcast listeners if we want to put a fund together you know maybe we can raise a hundred thousand two hundred fifty thousand maybe his sister <laughs> will take mercy on us and we can buy the blazers keep <laughs> That would that would buy you, gosh, what would that buy? That would buy you a concession stand at at the Moda Center. Yeah, so it was huge news, Tucker. In fact, I uh, I pinged you. I was sitting in my office, gosh, what was it, Tuesday or so, and I got a push notification from CNBC, and I did a double take because it wasn't on my radar. I don't think it was on many people's radar. I don't even think 
I'll come back to it in a second, but I've been talking to Adam Bjornsson. He he was involved in a teleconference for the Blazers, and a lot of the management of the Blazers were asking questions like, how long was this going on? Like, nobody knew. Two weeks ago, he came out, and we all know he battled cancer pretty pretty seriously, I want to say seven, eight years ago. And at that time, there was rumblings, like if something happened to him, what would be the ramifications? But then he beat it and everybody was, you know, it kind of died down. And it wasn't until about two weeks ago, I heard again through the media that he had, his cancer was back. But it wasn't like, hey, it's back in a bad way. You know, nobody was expecting two weeks later to get a push notification saying that at 65, he's he's dead. So I, I remember I, uh, I got that push notification and right away I was like, whoa, this is huge news. I texted you and I texted Adam Bjornsson and both of you hadn't heard yet. And then it was like 10 minutes later, you know, KGW and everybody else was pushing it out there. But yeah, it's huge news for the Blazers. I will tell you, I've been following what could happen out of this to the Blazers and all my sources and all the things I'm hearing and seeing pretty conclusively speculate that they're not going anywhere. The NBA loves Portland. Portland loves their NBA. And just as importantly... The Blazers have a contract with the Moda Center through 2025, which is seven more years. I did so read that, that be, yeah. That would be a huge mess for them to try to move and keep paying on that. And I think they said it's about a $100 million obligation. But, hey, you know, if you're paying $700 million for the team, what's $800 million, right? So Yeah, I saw somewhere that it was valued in 2017 at a billion. The, uh, yeah, I, they, the most recent ones, I think they said six to eight hundred million is what they're calling it. Yeah. The, now, the two billion dollar buy of uh, the Clippers was like an anomaly. It's kind of like that house on the street that somebody way overpaid for. And then everybody else tries to comp their house to it. But it really doesn't make any sense. That was the yeah. Clippers buy. So from what I've heard, uh, they're valuing the Blazers somewhere between six and eight hundred million. So I landed on seven hundred in the you middle. Wanna, but... You want to do an on-air bet right now? I, I say it's we'll we'll do the prices right on the Blazers. Okay. 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 You go first. <laughs> I say it's north of a billion. Okay. Just slightly. Say... Just slightly. Just slightly. Okay. So dollar over, you lose, right? So I'm gonna go nine 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 nine. Okay. Okay. We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> So, so what uh, what else is going on in your world? You've been getting out there and enjoying this crazy, amazing Indian summer we've had. It's pretty wild. We had a um, uh, an individual came down from Seattle yesterday to do an interview on our national show, and um, we took the, a chance after we did the interview to drive around, and check out some of our projects, and it was unbelievable, man. I was in a t-shirt, you know, well not a t-shirt, short sleeve shirt, and uh, you know, jeans, and just you know, being able to enjoy the temperature and the weather crazy Indian summer. Uh, I have to say, I kind of like it. I mean, 70, they think we hit 75 ish, something like that. It doesn't stay that warm for that long, but man, it's, it's nice out. Yeah. I got out and played some golf last Friday at Heron Lakes. I'm, I'm going to go out tomorrow to OGA. It's been perfect weather. I, I personally like it better than summer. Even it's just been amazing, phenomenal weather, perfect in every way. The only thing I will say, it does cool down quickly and, and early. I was at Heron Lakes last week, and around 6.30, it suddenly starts changing quickly on you, right right as the sun starts heading down. So you, you quickly remember that it is not summer. It is it is almost Halloween. <laughs> so, yeah, this is true. Yeah. There's a lot of leaves and things that are falling. So we're, we're, uh, 
Definitely in fall, no question there. Gorgeous, gorgeous. But other than that, yeah, we're cranking along. We got a lot going on, but I don't know, maybe uh, you kick it off and tell our listeners, kind of catch them up to speed with what's going on with uh, you guys over at PPG. Yeah, so I'll start a little bit about my own personal business as a a real estate agent. I'll be honest with you, I've been right-sizing my team. It's uh, another way of saying downsizing a little bit. Um, <laughs> is that uh, have you ever seen Step Brothers when uh, it's like I love uh, that movie. She's up and she's like, uh, my son was fired, and he's like, I wasn't fired, I was laid off. There's a difference. Like, <laughs> That's right. I'm right sizing, not downsizing. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> There are so many great one-liners. I that that's one of the best mo- comedies in the last ten years. I think it's in the last ten years anyway. Yeah, pretty sure it is. But yeah, no, right-sizing my team. You know, I I'm guilty of being the eternal optimist, and by that I mean I'm I'm always anticipating growth. I'm always anticipating more business. And and to be fair, I have I have had growth and I have had more business every year since I've since I got into real estate in uh, in 2012 as a real estate agent. I've always used the analogy that I'm I'm always building the six lane freeway when I only currently need four, but I'm anticipating more traffic. And then when I get the six lane built, I fill it out. And then before there's a traffic jam, I start working on a couple more lanes. And and by that I mean I'm adding people, expecting more more business flying in the door, make sure it keeps running smooth. But I will tell you, I'm feeling the market change. I'm seeing the market change. I'm reading about the market changing. And I know this is our market action update, and we're going to talk more about this. So probably for the first time in my real estate career of six plus years now, I'm starting to go a little bit in the other direction. Let there be a traffic jam. I'm okay with that. The other thing I'll say about that is for the last few years, I've sacrificed profits in exchange for quality of life. And by that, I mean, I'll have more people than I probably needed, but that allows me to take more time off, you know, have phones forwarded to someone else, not have to go to showings, not have to be on the phones. That's a new thing for me in the last two months. Believe it or not, there I'm, I'm taking shifts along with side with my other ISAs, inside sales agents. I've been Absolutely. doing some Sunday shifts where Phones are unforwarded. I'm on Zillow leads. New Zillow lead comes in. I'm I'm the first first line of defense. I'm calling them. It's good for me. But it's good for me. It's good for the team. You know, I'm a good converter at that. I'm also it also gives me current real time experience and what's what's working, what to say, what buyers are feeling, what their concerns are. And gosh, I've converted some good stuff lately. So. I've kind of gone in a different direction. I'm now kind of moving to where, okay, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my quality of life to gain more profitability, to keep more money to myself, but also less mouths to feed, which takes the revenue across all the team members. Everybody benefits when there's a few less people. And I'm I'm kind of going in that direction where I just think, I think it's prudent to have overhead low, be a little bit bottlenecked maybe, and that's okay versus anticipating future growth. I do think we're going to see less units, less transactions across the market. And so in the past, you could gain, you know, especially with prices going up as they've been for years now, you could do the same, you could keep the same amount of market share year over year, but as prices are going up and as transactions are going up, you have a bigger piece of pie each year. Well, the reverse is true as well. 
if and when the market number of transactions, and they are flat right now, and I think they're going to go down. If you if you have the exact same market share year over year, yet the total number of transactions is down and prices have flattened, which they have, then you're going to do less business. And I'm not saying we're going to do the same. I think it's possible that my team could grab a little bit more market share. But even then, if you go year over year and you grab more market share, yet prices are flat and transaction units are down, you might end up just doing same number of volume with more market share. So that's kind of what's going on with my personal business. Also, last week I was down in Southern California. I went to Huntington Beach and Laguna Beach, went to a Zillow conference. It was a, uh, they flew in and put up in us up in a hotel room, their top partners across the country. There's been a lot of grumblings about some changes they've they made. They want to make you feel good about giving them money still, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've all been, kind of, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, agents. It's been on the master's group in on Facebook about, you know, complaints with Zillow and, and leads flow being down. And I think we've all felt it. They've gone to a big change where they're forcing you to use their concierge system where they call the leads up front and don't give you the opportunity to do it yourself, which which when you had a team that was, you know, seven days a week on 13 hours a day, ready to pounce on those leads, it feels, it's a big change. It feels like it takes away a little bit of your competitive advantage. So they brought us in and they kind of, you know, in a nutshell, a couple things they said that were interesting. They are really spooked about open door. I've never seen Zillow so spooked. They are, it's- I'll keeping, tell you right now, that <clears throat> company is going to fail. It's a- uh, it, You think it, so? It is destined to fail. It will fail when the market continues to shift. It's a great idea in an easy market to sell homes. It's a very difficult idea to execute because they're basically doing what I has taken me 15 years to master. They're trying to do at scale in under two years with operators that have virtually no experience. So it's destined to fail. So I would short the hell out of that stock if it ever goes public. And I'll say it right now that they're destined to fail. So if they're spooked by it, they should have called me, I guess, but that's my opinion. Yeah, well, and and so they're not idiots. I don't I don't know all the details, Tucker. It sounds like you know a lot about Open Door, but what basically what they're feeling is they've come up with a model, as you know. And and Zillow said they have smart people and they have a lot of cash behind them. Um, they've they've received some large cash. Well, when they say smart people, they said they mean MBAs, and when they mean cash, they mean dumb money. So that's <laughs> my, could be. My, could be. I'm, I'm translating here for everybody what that means, really. <laughs> There's they're saying their user experience is is very seamless. You click on their site, uh, you have someone on the phone within within days. Somebody's coming to your house. They're making you a cash offer. They're also saying if you want to list, here's what we could list it for. They're also facilitating some of the buy side stuff now. They 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 made some kind of purchase for a company that helps them on the buy side. And they're they're grabbing market share like crazy. They, they said in Dallas, Texas, fourteen percent of the listings are open door right now. They're not here really in a big way in Portland. Not uh, yet. I have seen that. I know um, they're they're struggling for profitability though, and that, that's going to get worse on the buy sell side. The brokerage basically they're running a business that is surviving based on brokerage fees. So now you're integrating in a huge pain in the ass factor of buying an asset, reselling an asset just to create brokerage fees. So at the end of the day, I guess that's why my my rationale behind why I think it won't work is because to take on that burden just to create broker fees is not a sustainable long-term business model. And that will become the reality as the market continues to soften. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. But bottom line, Zillow sees that they and so what they're what they're aiming for with their changes, and it's kind of almost like a uh, bait and switch where you say, "Hey, we'll buy your house," mm-hmm. and by the way, here's the here's the dollar amount we'll pay for it, and it's pretty low. But and if and if you don't want to do that, here's an agent that will help you list it. They want to be able to offer that. They also want to ensure seamless communication with their users. So when somebody clicks contact agent, they want someone on the phone right away. And that's what they're doing through their broker concierge. That's why they have people basically taking the calls because they want to make sure that they somebody is talking to them immediately and they have them on staff so they can kind of control it in-house then, it seems like. Yeah, and then they live connect it. So if they call me and I don't answer my phone, then they call the next agent. If they don't answer their phone, then the next agent until they get someone and then they put them through. So the user is guaranteed to have somebody on the phone quickly that's going to have a real estate conversation with them. Zillow did make some ad- admissions. They said our ROI is down. We know it. We're gonna we're working on it. We're gonna fix it. We're gonna cap zip codes so that there's not too much competition. They are gonna allow agents to nurture their own leads. So if the broker concierge calls a lead in the near future and that lead says, hey, you know what, I've got an agent I'm working with, they'll give us agents the ability to still get that lead pushed through to us and we can then call them and still make a run at it and go, Hey, I, you know, I heard that you have an agent. I just want to make sure you're happy with that relationship. I thought that was pretty cool. And a lot of people might like that. They're going to be huge on customer service reviews. Every time we talk to a Zillow lead immediately after that conversation, they're getting an email and they're asking about me. How was your conversation with Steve? How was his customer service? Was he prompt in getting back to you? Are you going to use him? Those with the best reviews will get preferential treatment in some way, shape, or form. And those with low reviews will probably not be allowed on the site, or they'll have higher costs that make it not attractive for them to be on the site. And then interestingly enough, and, and by the way, you know, I'm a Zillow fan mostly, but I but I also have concerns along with others, and I won't get into those on the air. But one thing that I thought was interesting, and I don't know if I like it or not, was they're gonna roll out some kind of program where agents don't have to pay up front to be on Zillow, they'll pay a referral fee when it closes. So that was something they kind of talked about a little bit, interestingly enough. That Um, seems interesting in terms of, um, I guess, it's good and bad, right? Because then everybody, why wouldn't every, it would increase the number of agents that essentially are in line to get in onto Zillow, right? Um, Because there's no upfront commitment, which makes the barrier of entry much lower, which means those of you guys that pay them a lot of money, I don't know, I'd be concerned. But Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts. That's exactly my thoughts. That caters well to the agents that don't have large capacity and funding and they're just a onesie twosie mom and pop, they're gonna yeah, they're gonna line up and they're gonna do well in that. So yeah, that is a concern. I won't get too much into the beyond that. Hey, let's talk real quick about PPG and then we'll get to your stuff. So big news out of PPG. PPG has always been in Oregon and Washington. And we've acted as a unified company through a partnership agreement. There was actually two ownership groups. PPG Oregon had an ownership group, and then PPG Washington had an ownership group with a partnership agreement between the two. Separate sets of books, separate owners, you know, a lot of other things separate, yet acting as one, one website, one name, one brand, Many other things acting as one. Well, the big news is we in Oregon bought out Washington. That just closed here in the last week and a half. So there is truly only one company. That's a big big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a big deal. It works out. Oregon had about 
800 agents. Washington had about 200. So they were about a fourth of our size, but that's all under one umbrella now. There's not going to be massive changes and the changes that do occur will be all be for positive you know, there'll be more efficiencies. We can we can have one set of books, you know, one one accounting department instead of two. There'll be more unity. We'll be able to streamline some of the offerings that we've only been able to do in Oregon thus far because of because of there being, you know, two sets of books. We'll be able to, you know, roll out our marketing platform easier for them and better for them. We'll be able to roll out our lead generation department better for them. And there'll just be less crossover and overlap. So so far, no big changes, but there'll be some positive stuff coming out of that in the coming months and years. Last thing I'll say about PPG, we uh, we rolled out a partnership to promote our higher-end listings around the world. We now have global representation on our higher-end listings. How we did that is we partnered with a company out of New York. Their, their name is Brown Harris Stevens. What they do, they're they're similar in size to us probably, but they're they're specific to to the East Coast and New York. They're not a they're not a global brand like say a Cascade Sotheby's or a Christie's. And that's kind of the idea by, behind this is to show the show the market that they have no advantage over us with their global presence. What we did was with this network, we basically set up a system of reciprocity for our highest end listings. It's on our website on, on premierpropertygroup.com under sellers, internet marketing. But basically, we take our highest end listings and we put them on a site that they have. And then we take their high end listings and put it on our site. And we do that across hundreds and hundreds of brokerages. So brokerages in London and Italy and New York and Texas are promoting our listings while on our site we're promoting all of their high-end listings. So just it's a cool way to efficiently and effectively get our higher-end listings on a global presence. And that's kind of a cool thing we rolled out and it's been pretty exciting for our agents. And by the way, it's been just in time. I personally am doing far more higher-end listings and we talked about this earlier in the year. That was a big thing that I wanted to make a, make a push for and, and I have successfully been able to do that now, that's good news and bad news. The good news is I've been successful in doing that. The bad news is I did it just in the time for them to all sit and not have a lot of activity as the higher end market really slows down. But similarly, across PPG, we're seeing a lot more higher end listings for our agents through the great marketing offerings that we have. And I, I'm super proud and happy and excited to see our company grab a big piece of the higher end market. So have you heard of, uh, you know, just on that note, I got an advertisement from a company called HomeMati.com, which is like, it seems like it's a, like a universal RMLS type uh, platform, we'll call it. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, anyway, they're basically trying to get people to list their properties on that site almost as like a universal RMLS type system. But anyway, I thought maybe you knew about it, but uh, maybe it's something you can look into. We can talk about on yeah. future episodes if they I'll, stick. I'll, they're they're <laughs> doing a lot of marketing and they're sending out, they're, they're pushing a lot of money or, uh, you know, marketing out there, which means they must have raised a lot of money on this idea. I'm not sure how it fits into the world of what's existing in terms of the real estate landscape for listing properties for sale and getting them exposure. Seems like they're coming in at a, um, a rough time, we'll call it, <laughs> with yeah. uh, you know, softening and shrinking and contraction of the market, both in terms of volume and potentially agents and everything else. But anyway, it's called Homati, H-O-M-M-A-T-I.com. And so I don't know, check it out. We can talk about it on the next show, but cool. Anyway, I will. Uh, what's going on with you? So 
as you said, uh, or as you alluded to, market stuff, right? I mean, we'll kind of talk about what's going on in my business, but I think we can kind of segue it also into the market stuff. Market's definitely changing a little bit. We have not felt it to this point, though. You know, Kudos to you. A, I see your stuff moving. Yeah, we sold a multi-million dollar home in 48 hours. Um, we've got another one going live uh, next week. We'll probably sell it in 24 hours. So Dude, collectively, we could sell, sell two multi-million dollar homes in under 72 hours. So, But there's reasons for that. We're not just lucky and and it's just you know i guess my point is is as the market turns buyers start to recognize value much more than what they did previously and so a lot of our developments that we've done a lot of houses we built i built with this day in mind because we were beating the drums last year at least i was beating the drums that okay market slowed we hit we hit the slow spot last year and then all of a sudden it accelerated again and it wasn't it we i was a year early and basically my prediction that we'd kind of hit our inflection point in terms of people just recognizing it and saying, yep, that's, this is it. Well, I think we're there now for sure. I don't think there's many people that argue with it, but we've done our, you know, selection process in terms of the projects we take on the way we do our developments. Um, you know, we want to put a product to market that doesn't exist. We want to create the unicorn, right? We want to create the product that you just can't find anywhere else. And so, the reason why we sold our first high-end house that way is because we're offering a, a really nice product, but it's on a piece of property that you can't find. So, for you know, just for example, on the project that's selling out very quickly at multi-million dollar price points is most new construction, specifically in Lake Oswego, is on very um, dense lots, right? Because dirt value is so expensive. And so we did a development where we basically created bigger lots versus smaller lots. So... Now you can buy new construction on a half acre bigger lot that's flat, totally usable, right? That product doesn't exist. And so that's why our stuff is selling. So I think moving forward, that's kind of our outlook on selling things. And, you know, that's fine. That's the way, you know, the market rewards those products that have the intangibles that others don't. And it punishes those that don't have the intangibles, right? And when I say punish, it just means they change pricing and pricing adjusts a little bit. And so anyway, we're cruising along. We got three projects we're putting on market uh, in the next couple of weeks one of which is uh you know another multi-million dollar home that um you know we've got three people that have been texting me you know well we want it before it goes on market you know so we'll see how it goes but um you know it's it's definitely interesting out there i've seen a lot of people worried that um you know the slowdown is going to affect them pretty tremendously but you know in reality we're at 3.1 months of inventory. We'll just kind of segue into talking about this too, because I think it's relevant. But 3.1 months of inventory in a normal world is, you know, pretty damn low. In our new reality, it's really high, right? But I was looking back, and I think the last time we were at three months, uh, did you look at it? Was it 2014? Was that the last time we were there? I actually did not look at that, but it's a while it, ago. I'll tell you yeah, that. I think it was end of 2013, 2014, which. Looking back on my career, that was about the time that we built in Street of Dreams. And so it was very similar market conditions then as now, which is, you know, you have to have a superior product uh, with superior location to get superior pricing. You can't have any inferiorness to your product, whether it be location, design, whatever, in order to get that, you know, 100 cents on the dollar on what something could comp for and be worth. And so I think just moving forward, 
agents specifically um, are really going to have to get better at their craft and identifying what are these nuances about the homes that they're listing that would either allow a property to be sold for 100 cents on the dollar or not. And they just need to be realistic with sellers as well. And I know that's hard sometimes because, you know, you want the business and sometimes people aren't ready to hear what they need to be told. But other times agents can't recognize those things. And so it's a time, I think, for people to really start to master their craft and really understand the product that they're selling. And if they do that and they price it right, things are moving. But um, we're definitely in a more price sensitive market in terms of, you know, it sells for the value that you're giving the market and you're not getting inflated prices just because the market's carrying it. So anyway, we've got another house that's going on the market uh, on Upper Drive here next week. It'll probably sell really fast. Um, it's, a, it's a great house. It's on a flat half acre. It's in an amazing area. And then we've got uh, another one in Milwaukee that uh, big lot, a lot of bang for the buck. Um, and then a, a new build in Woodstock that we're going to be putting on the market as well. So we got a lot going on. And uh, But even with that, given where the market is, it really it doesn't bother me a whole lot. Um, you know, we've been building and renovating houses since to that late 2008. And, uh, you know, sometimes the market just softens a little bit, but you adjust and everything sells at a price, right? Would you say you're similarly not in as much of a growth mode or of a, uh, of a sustain mode? Like, Hey, meaning, meaning less aggressive in, in, in taking on new projects and, and yeah, and, I started, um, sort of like you mentioned earlier in the show, I started pulling the reins in a year ago on like are we going to expand and take on these different types of projects and do all these different kinds of things? I made the decision a year ago not to do that, which was a hard decision because at the time, you know, the market paused for a little bit, but then it accelerated again. And it's, it's hard to make those decisions when everybody seems to be making a lot of money and things are going great. But that was the point in time when I decided to kind of pull the reins in and narrow our focus on what it is that we're going to do until we get through this, whatever this cycle looks like. And so uh, we're at the level staff wise, project wise, capital wise that we want to be at, uh, you know, to go through whatever this transition is or softening or just, you know, seasonality. I don't know. Um, but we, we've been there for a year. So I've I've kind of been waiting for whatever to happen to happen. And so we're not in reaction mode. We're just in kind of wait and see mode. Yeah. And it's kind of like I said earlier, Tucker, I think I think for builders, too, and real realtors, in the coming years, success and growth will be sustaining your numbers. It won't necessarily be increasing them. Those who aren't having the same success and growth will be decreasing their numbers. So like, in other words, you know, a, a, a good builder in the last five years is probably, you know, and I'll just use some generic numbers, you know, maybe in 15, they did 10 houses and 16, they did 14 and 17, they did 18, you know, and they're, and they're, they're expanding. And then 18, they do 18 homes. Well, it's going to be hard to grow that, like to go 22 homes in, in 19 and then 26 in 20, 19, 20. But differently, what success will be is maybe just keeping that 18. There'll be many that go down in number. And that, that applies to agents too. You know, I've steadily been increasing my personal volume on my team, you know, 50 million, 60 million, 70 million this year. I'm not necessarily banking on seeing that go 80, 90, 100 in the coming years. I think it'll be a huge success to keep to maintain that volume, to maintain it as units are down, as transactions across the market are down, as prices aren't increasing quite as much. 
so that's just a different mindset. It's 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 less expansion. It's more of a sustaining mindset. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I and I wanted to bring this up is that, you know, everybody is now being smacked across the face with the fact that the market is slowing, or that's the conversation, right? But the reality is, and I've been looking at this because there's a few projects that we've been tied up in for a while. I underwrote exit prices on a few projects two years ago, three years ago on certain projects that I am we're putting to market this month at that same price. So there there have been areas and parts of town that tapped out two years ago, and it's only just mm-hmm. being recognized now that we've hit the flat line. But really, they hit the they hit that that pinnacle of value probably two years ago. There's a house that we sold in Lake Oswego that's currently pending again right now. And we sold it three years ago, and they're selling it for basically enough to pay real estate commissions above what they bought us. That neighborhood peaked out three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that that has already happened. It's in the rearview mirror. It's just now people are recognizing it, right? Sure. And so I think that you know a lot of this uh, market softening is just emotional reaction to recognizing what's already been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I'm not. It doesn't really bother me. We're also not the Titanic. You know, we're not. We're not built so big that you know we have massive exposure. Um, we've stayed nimble and. You know, honestly, we've done the best over the course of my career just purely based on timing. And so we stay nimble so that we can take advantage of timing. And and I think as we move forward, you know, it's interesting you talked about builder um, volume that they're going to do moving forward. There's been a big disconnect in terms of the dollar amount that people that have redevelopable land um, want to sell for and what it should sell for over the last six months specifically, um, or at least this year. Um, I mean, I've had a number of conversations with agents, um, even with you, um, and agents where, you know, that they told a seller that they can get them this amount of money. And I've said, that's effing crazy. Nobody's going to pay that. Um, because here's why this, 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 and this, and you know, sometimes that falls on deaf ears, which is fine. But the reality of the market we're in now is when I say those things, it will be proven right much quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's just, that has to fall in line and I think it will. And I'm excited for that because people have been pushing the puck on what they'll sell. Um, you know, basically a a project problems, headache, um, challenges, all that stuff comes with redevelopment and people have been putting a premium on that. And I'm kind of excited to shift back to a market where they recognize the value of going through that process and enduring all of that because there is a lot to endure, um, and giving some value for that. And so I, I, going back into a balanced market, we'll see a lot more value given to the person or company that goes through all that. And so for that, I'm, I'm excited to be honest with you. You know, one of the, one of the realizations that I have, unfortunately is the hardest part of a changing market is the early innings. And the reason for that is because there is a disconnect between the sellers and the buyers. I truly believe a year or two from now, when it's common knowledge that, hey, I can't sell my house for 5% more than my neighbor sold theirs, I probably need to sell it for 5% less or at least the same amount. When that reality has set into sellers in the future, I think we'll all be in a better place. But right now we're in that transitionary stage where sellers are still feeling cocky and confident and buyers, on the other hand, know the reality as they're looking around. And so it's really hard to bridge that for us agents. We're having those conversations with our sellers and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of my sellers, they're, they're frustrated and they're like, oh, I don't need to sell or, you know, they're being stubborn. They're being stubborn. And that's the challenge of being an agent right now. It will pass, I think, in the coming months and years. 
as as the new normal sets in that hey it is moving more towards a buyer's market to be a good agent right now you got to be really good at getting price reductions or just segue side note here pricing right correctly to begin with right which goes back to my point about recognition of the intangibles um you know the functionality the floor plan the lot really understanding the product that you're selling because there's a lot of people in this business that have no idea about the product they're selling and you have to get good at at recognizing those things and factoring that into your pricing because you're right but on the flip side i get your point too that sellers are like well my neighbor sold for this this is what i want to list for if you want the listing this is my expectations right and it's hard to fight that battle i totally get it but at the same time these early innings are tough. They're tough on you guys. There's no, there's no question about that. And uh, hopefully, you know, it'll only be like the first two innings and not the first four where you got to fight that battle. Yeah, and that was true in the last downturn. <clears throat> Again, we we all agree this downturn will or this correction will be nothing like the last one. But it was true then. I remember the darkest days were as everything came to a screeching halt and. Nobody wanted to buy houses because all the, they were all overpriced and everybody knew they were coming down except for the sellers. As years went by and we came into 2009, 2010, 2011, well, guess what? Everybody got good at short sales. Sellers knew, okay, this is this is a lost cause. I just need to get rid of this house. And so things things started moving again in a in a distressed fashion, mind you. But they started at least things are moving. As agents, we make a little bit of money when when we take a piece of a transaction when when fewer transactions are happening we make we all make less money hey you asked me about price reductions by the way my good friend and fellow agent at premier property group tom wilzer who by the way tucker you've done a deal with yep bought your ta- one of your townhomes he uh he's a stats guy i sat down with him yesterday and he, he gave me some stats that i thought i'd share with you for our company right now we have a total of 397 active listings. This is only Portland Metro. This is not Washington or anywhere outside of the metro area, including Bend and and Yamhill County and Salem. Portland Metro, the greater Portland Metro, Tri-County area, we have a total of basically 400 active listings. We have 528 active and pending. So we've got about 128 that are pending. So about a fourth of ours are pending or about 20% of our, our, our inventory is pending right now. Of the 397 active, 265 have had a price reduction in the last 30 days. That's 67% of them. That's, you want to yeah. see a stat that blew my mind, Tucker? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. We broke it down by price point. So we did how many under 500,000 have had a price reduction? How many from 500 to a million have had a price reduction and how many a million plus? Which did you which do you expect has had the most price reductions? I'd say the middle of the pack one. G- good guess. Good guess. Am I you wrong? Know, did I, I price no, is right? Did I price is wrong, Bob? <laughs> I would have pos- I would have probably upfront have guessed the higher priced ones, right? The million plus. Hey, those are sitting longer, which they are. They're probably lowering their price. I was I would have been dead wrong. The ones with the most price reductions are less than five hundred thousand. Wow. So the the median the ones closer to median price point have had the most price reductions. That's that that does kind of blow my mind so a little bit. Right now of our three hundred ninety seven active listings, two hundred eighteen are under five hundred thousand. 
173 of those have had a price reduction in the last 30 days. That's 79% of those listings. Wow. Here's I'm, my here's hmm. my take on it. And on the million plus, we have 37 listings, a million plus in the metro area. 12 of those have had a price reduction. That's 32%. I guess now that I'm looking at this data, I it, it does make a little bit of sense. And here's why. People who are in the higher price points expect it to take longer to sell. And so they're probably not freaking out in the same manner. Whereas people who are listing a $450,000 home and it doesn't get an offer in the first three weeks are probably going quick, really quickly realizing we're overpriced and they're, and they're making that adjustment. So that was really, really fascinating to me. That, that is, I, I remember I pinged you and said, I'd be curious to see what those numbers are. Um, definitely surprising that it's in the lowest price point. Um, cause it's got the least amount of money to give generally, you know, as you crunch price numbers down, there's just less room. But, um, at the same time, you know, that might be the most aggressive pricing price point, uh, or category because everybody thinks that, it, you know, the closer you are to median price point, the more buyers are on the market. So there might've been the most aggressive pricing. Um, so that might be showing the, the shift soonest we'll call it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But interesting numbers for sure. Um, yeah. definitely has a uh, food for thought, but you know, I think the overall theme here is that the sky's not falling. I think that it's just, a. a the market is recognizing true value in a product, right? And and I think that we need the market to recognize true value in product and not allow, you know, low inventory to just carry stupid prices for stupid product or slightly inferior product at premier prices. Um, you know, it, we're just moving into a time frame where you price things realistically, and it's tough on the front end for agents to get owners and sellers to recognize that their property might actually be a little inferior to one that they're trying to comp it to and that you've got to factor that into your numbers. Um, but eventually we'll get there and, you know, it'll be an easier time. And, you know, I know for me personally, you know, as the market kind of cools, that's the time where I actually like this game the best. Um, so I'm embracing it. I don't think it's a bad thing. And, you know, I'm sure you're probably in the same boat. Yeah. Interest rates. Did you know they're up 1% since the beginning of the year, Tucker? They're about 5.25 now on conventional 30-year fixed. I did. Um, that's the highest interest rates have been since 2011. So to put that into perspective, that's the highest they've been since I've been a realtor. And if they go up just a tick more to about 5.5, that would be the highest we've seen since 08. Um, so, I mean, that's having, a, that's having a role as well. That's a real tax on home prices. That those same homes now cost more monthly, which puts a downward, a serious downward pressure on prices. So yeah. it, we're seeing that happen. Um, the other thing I'll say is, um, and I'll, I, I wrote down a few notes here. Also, I'll, I'll rattle off a few things. I'm seeing more and more headlines nationally about New York cooling off and California cooling off. And as you as you know and have will recall, Tucker, those are usually pretty good bellwethers of the rest of the country. They kind of they kind of see things happen first, and then the rest of us feel it. I saw a Facebook group nationally that I belong to. This is a Facebook group um, with, gosh, I want to say twenty thousand agents nationally, and there was a there was a post that said, "What's your market?" In three words, you know, hot, medium, or cool, and there was and and give us give us the location of where you are, 
And it was just cool, 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 cool across the board. There was a few pockets. There was a few areas. I, I noticed a few people said, no, things are still pretty good here. But so you're seeing a lot of that across the country. One other thing I'll say, because I agree with you, the sky's not falling. And here's one thing I'll tell you that's positive that I, I was thinking about the other day. You know, when we had the really bad downturn back in 2008, I remember there was an interview of the CEO of Intel. And in the interview, they said, hey, how is this downturn compared to the previous downturn, which for you was the dot-com bust, right? And he goes, look, this is pretty bad, but this is not like the dot-com bust. And he said, the reason is simple. In the dot-com bust, we were the epicenter. We were the ground zero of the economic downturn, of the economic problems. So we felt it front and center. He said this time we're we're in the background of it and we're we're getting we're getting whiffs of it and 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 after effects and aftershocks but but they're nothing like last time. Here's the positive thing that I will say. I think that's going to be the case for housing this time. I don't think we're going to be in the epicenter of a downturn. I don't think we're going to this nothing we feel is going to be like it was in 2008. I think you know if the economy changes, we're, by the way, today's stock market, I was just on CNBC, the stock market is down, gosh, 300, 400 points because of what? Do you know what? Because of rates. Rates are up, right? So it's, it is affecting the stock market. I think corporate debt could be another issue that causes some slowdown in the economy, not to mention you know some other components. But those, those are things that aren't front and center real, real estate. So I think we'll have a much, much better go this time around. few takeaways that I wanted to mention, a couple things I'm implementing in my business that are really helping me. There's going to be a lot more expired listings. They're just, they're just going to happen. So the trick is as an agent to not let yours expire and to, and to do a great job so your, your sellers relist with you as needed. Be proactive in your communication. Negotiate long contracts up front. Do great marketing. So as that listing begins to expire or the expiration's in sight, they still want to use you. One of the great communications we do, I've mentioned on this podcast before, is set up a prospect profile around that listing. Make sure that seller and you is getting emailed anytime a new listing comes on the market, reduces their price, goes pending or, or goes sold, so that they are constantly in the know. What is happening? Maybe very little is happening. Let them see that as well. When listings aren't selling, Ignorance is not bliss on the part of the sellers. Be very proactive in your communication. Another cool thing to do, another great thing that I always look to do is as you're going and you're having those conversations about price reductions, use media articles to tell them, to show them what is happening with real estate and the slowdown and price reductions. Get those price reductions. And as you get a price reduction, put on that addendum an extension to your current contract have the conversation, say, Hey, you know, we're going to drop the price. And by the way, our, our listing expires in three weeks. I was just going to put another 90 days on that. That's a great time to do that. So I'm done. Lightning rounds over. What do you got? Tucker? All right. Well, I'll leave it. I'll leave everybody with this. This is my parting words of advice as we head into this market. It's a quote by Warren Buffett. And, uh, I think everybody will like it. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. We've been in a market where price and value are not, uh, directly aligned. And now we're going into a market where they have to match up. So there you go. Love it. So, Love it. And I've, I've, I've always been a big fan of the Oracle of Omaha. There we go. So that's a good way to leave it. All right, folks, that wraps up this episode. We'll see you all on the next one. 
Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.